Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we're really excited to have on Amber Allen. She is an incredible content creator that I've been following for about six years. She has a YouTube channel called The Fairly Local Family. She has a beautiful family of five, three kids, and she lives the most sustainable budget-friendly, vegan, zero-waste lifestyle that I've ever seen anyone live, but with a with an underlying philosophy of just stress-free and imperfection, which, you know, if you listen to this podcast, Tony and I are all about. Watching her content just pushes me in directions that I wouldn't go otherwise just because I don't see them modeled. So On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things revolving the vegan lifestyle, but we also like to push the barrier a little bit and help all of you listening think about other ways we can be a little bit more conscientious in our life, thoughtful about the things that we buy or maybe don't have to buy, different ways that we can live, parent, grocery shop, and beyond. And we're going to dive into all of it with Amber with a underlying theme of how we can live more budget-friendly, and more sustainably in life. She's really inspirational, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Before we jump into the show, we'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors of this episode, Ritual and Caraway. Tony's really busy getting ready for her new cookbook to launch, which is coming out in less than a month. Go, Tony! So I'm going to be highlighting these solo today in case you're wondering where Tony's at. She'll be back for the rest of the episode in a moment. But first up, we have Ritual. Ritual is a fully vegan B Corp science-backed vitamin company that we really adore. You know we love to talk about poop on this podcast. We've had gastroenterologist Dr. B on the show to talk about the importance of gut health. And prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics are all the rage in the health world these days. If you're a little hazy on these, prebiotics are essentially fiber. They basically feed probiotics. Probiotics are the beneficial bacteria that live in our gut and make up our microbiome, the composition of which is largely dependent on what fiber we consume. And postbiotics are the compounds that are made as probiotic bacteria breaks down the fiber molecules. Well, Ritual has crafted a really handy daily three-in-one Symbiotic Plus, they call it, vitamin that includes all three, prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics, and it supports a balanced gut microbiome. They come in these delayed-released capsules designed to help all that good stuff survive the journey from the upper GI tract all the way down to the colon. Ritual's a really well-trusted and widely loved brand. The founder is vegan, as are all their products, and the Symbiotic Plus and Ritual brand are here to celebrate, not hide your insides, and we love that. There's no shame in your gut game, and that's why Ritual's offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash plantpowered to start Ritual or to add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. We'd also like to thank Caraway Home, the makers of my favorite cookware and bakeware that actually makes me want to get in my kitchen and cook. It erases my cleanup dread at the end of the night. 
their elegantly designed, eco-friendly, non-stick and non-toxic pots and pans and baking sheets are made with a ceramic non-stick coating that food seriously just slides right off of. And when it comes to eating on a budget, which is what we're talking all about today on this episode, cooking at home is key to saving money. And while it may sound a little bit counterintuitive, investing in tools that make cooking at home easier can ultimately save you lots of money in the long run if it means you're going to be cooking more at home and eating out less. If you'd like to check them out, we have a special code for you and you can save 10% off on their full suite of Caraway products. Just visit carawayhome.com slash plantpoweredkitchen to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase exclusive to our listeners. That's carawayhome.com slash plantpoweredkitchen or use the code plantpoweredkitchen at checkout to explore Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. We'll include all those links in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And without further ado, enjoy the show. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Where are you calling us from today? I'm from close to Windsor, Ontario. It's roughly about four or five hours from Toronto, Ontario. Ooh, cool. I'm going to be in Toronto. I'll actually be in Barrie, but I'm going to stay in Toronto and I'm really excited about it. And I'm going to go to Niagara Falls, which I've heard is really beautiful from the Canadian side. You are going to love it. It is beautiful here. Have you been to Niagara Falls? I have. And there's great little vegan joints around there, too. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to hit you up separately. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? I know you have a large online presence. So what do you do? I have been vegan 16 years and I have been low waste for almost 10. And so I talk a lot about low waste veganism or being plant based, lots of plant based and vegan recipes on in my content. I talk about sustainability. I talk about what it's like raising a family, both vegan and low waste, trying and striving to be as sustainable as possible, even though sometimes it looks a little imperfect especially with kids, you know, it can get complicated. So we are probably an imperfect, (laughs) low waste, but thoroughly vegan family. And I grow most of our food, about roughly 70 to 80% of our food comes from our backyard. And we live in suburbia. We don't like have a ton of land. It's a little backyard, but I still manage to grow a lot of food in it. Is that year round? You grow your, you grow food year round? I do. I grow food out I was from probably roughly April to the end of October. And then I started growing food again inside. That's so cool. Amber, I'm so excited to have you on because I've actually been watching your YouTube content for so many years, like long before I became a parent. What you've been doing and creating and sharing has been so different from everything else out there that it's just been a source of inspiration. And just I wouldn't even realize that there's a way of living different from what we see exemplified by other people. And I just have loved how much you've shared online. So for those listening, if you haven't already checked out Amber's YouTube channel, we'll definitely link it in the show notes. Such great content. Thank you so much. I know some of the stuff we do is maybe a bit extreme for some people, but I don't know, it kind of works for our family and we've done really well doing it. We want to get like really, really deep in there of the the things that may seem extreme to some. But first, How did you even get started with living this sustainable lifestyle? I know it's 
it's a learning process. It can be at times really inconvenient to not just have disposable something or live in a way that's more conventional. So how did you even get started down this path? I wish I could really pinpoint when it all started. I would say that a lot of stuff started, I guess, falling into place when I was about 16 years old. I moved out of my parents' place at that time, started college, got my own apartment. I was a broke college student. I lived under the poverty line. So I started doing a lot of stuff that now is sustainable. Like people tell me that is sustainable. But back then I was doing a lot of things just out of frugality. So I was using, you know, eco detergent bars, washing my own jeans in my bathtub and hanging them to dry. And I didn't have a washing machine. I refused to use the washing machines in the apartment building because they cost money that could go towards other stuff. I was vegan then. I started, I went vegan when I was 17 years old and that cut down on a lot of, I guess, grocery money that I would have had to put out if I hadn't gone vegan then. And I just started doing stuff like shutting off my lights more. So I had candles in my apartment rather than turn on the overhead lights. So I started, I guess, doing extreme stuff when I moved out of my parents' place because suddenly I guess you're faced with everything being your own money and you have to have a budget and things have to work because there's nothing for you to fall back on. Or at least I had nothing to fall back on. And that was like my one, I had to rely on myself. It was all about, you know, what I could do. And then around that time, I started going to eco co-ops in Montreal. I lived in Montreal for seven years, going to school, college and university. I'm from Quebec. So that's why I was going to, in Montreal, living in Montreal at the time. And um, I went to eco places, health food stores, and I just really loved the community surrounding these locations. And so I guess in a way, I suddenly realized I was a bit of a hippie <laughs> and I was meeting other hippie like people. And it made me feel like I had a sense of community around me, realizing that the things I was doing, like growing food on my windowsills, I started growing food in this like little tiny apartment. It was a one bedroom apartment with the bathroom and like a fridge. And that was basically the entire apartment. It was about 10 feet by 10 feet. And that was my apartment. But I grew food <laughs> in like little cups on my windowsill. I grew beans on my windowsill. I grew little carrots on my windowsill. It was really sad in some ways. <laughs> but at the same time, I grew herbs on my windowsill and didn't have to put out that money. So for me, it was like, I don't know, little a little piece of peace in an urban area in a tiny little apartment. So that's when I think it all kind of started. That's awesome. I think one of the the fascinating things we've had, we've actually done a couple episodes on the Plant Powered People podcast about zero waste living, but they came from a perspective of, I'd say, quite a lot of privilege and resources. And I think there's two sort of dichotomies. Like you can approach zero waste living from I'm going to buy all these things to help me not produce more waste. And that could be really expensive. But there's also the way to to do it, which is more aligned with the philosophy of zero waste, which is you're not buying anything to help yourself live zero waste. So I'd love to like dive into those tips that you have for how we can live in a more budget-friendly way, how we can reduce our, our footprint and the things that we're buying, especially buying new and applying that to our life, like living more simply and saving a lot of money at the same time. Well, just diving right into it, like you said, you know, 
when you are getting started being low waste or sustainable in any way, and you want to you want to create a budget and stop spending so much money, what I like to do is I like to look at what I already have. And I know we live in this consumeristic society where, you know, things look really good and they look really flashy. And the same goes for in the low waste, you know, world. There are really cool things coming out sometimes and they look new and they look flashy and everyone has to have it. But sometimes there's a good old alternative just sitting in your apartment or in your garage that you can use or you can make things out of free stuff like, you know, there's so much stuff in usually in our houses that we can reuse in some way or that we can trade for something we can use that we're looking for. For example, I, you know, have really gotten into fermentation over the years. I really needed a crock pot sort of, you know, one of those old sauerkraut crock pot sort of things. I don't know. It has a lid. It's really, really heavy. It's made out of pottery. I was looking for one. And I looked on these free no buy groups on Facebook and I did end up finding one and I traded for it using raspberry plants. And so that was kind of cool. But so there there's a community usually out there of other people who may want what you have, but you don't have to spend money looking if you're looking for something. Most of the time, you can probably find it if you, you know, look secondhand or you trade for it or even borrow it if you don't need it for long term. We actually use our buy nothing group. And in in Sacramento, where we live, there are buy nothing groups by neighborhood on Facebook. So you just type in buy nothing group Sacramento, and then it'll be like buy nothing group Sacramento downtown, buy nothing group Sacramento, this other neighborhood. And that way you don't even have to like you can walk to someone's house within a maybe a couple mile radius but it's really awesome to get to know your neighbors and to also not buy the, the things that you're looking for. And often people write in the Facebook group exactly what they want. And so many people have had one sitting around, not doing anything, collecting dust and are hap- happy to give it to someone who's going to put it to use. And sometimes there's trading. And sometimes like for me, I love um, gardening and someone has dug up their volunteer plants and potted them up for me and has gifted me tomatillo plants or I got a jade tree uh, and, and a few other things. So it's so cool to find those communities that are right in front of you if you're a Facebook user and get things that you need without having to spend any money. That's exactly it. And also, you know, like just going off what we were talking about before, becoming more, I guess, conscious of the possessions you have is a good way of, I guess, being happy with what you have, but also at the same time, keeping your possession possessions a bit limited or not rather limited, but just knowing what you have and what you need in your home. And so what I like to do probably about three times a year, I like going through all the stuff we have and I mean everything we have. And I like offering it up on these no no buy groups because if I can't use it, someone else can. And in that sense, it's something out there is always in cycle, always being used instead of going to one of these donation centers where it gets sent to who knows where or ends up in the trash. So I would like to see my stuff that I don't need anymore getting used by someone else. And I know exactly who it's going to and it's out in the community. And for those who are very socially uncomfortable, like both me and Michelle, 
You can also just stick it on your porch and do a porch pickup. So when you're making your arrangements and you're like not interested in meeting new people or getting dressed for the day to meet someone, you can avoid that whole situation and put it on the porch. They stop by and it's a contactless free transaction, which I know a lot of people don't want that extra socializing obligation. How do you, if you ever were a consumer and if you ever were really into searching reviews for the best products, how do you like shift your brain from that? Because right now what you're saying is you'll take what you get. And I know for me, for an, as a recipe developer, I like mm. what's going to be a very functional or like high functioning product that's going to save me time and effort and all this stuff. So how do you switch your, not only your preferences, but also your expectations for how something's going to perform? Well, for us, we look to what will last long term, what will we be using long term and, you know, getting it's about I would like to say it's about quality over over quantity, you know. So if we need to find something, let's say a dehydrator, we first go and look at reviews and see which is the best one out there. So we do do that. We look at reviews. We see what people say. And then we try to find that that item secondhand. And if we can't find it secondhand, we will wait sometimes and keep searching for it secondhand until we find it or until we find a really good deal on it. So we do sometimes purchase new items, but they have to be good quality items, willing to put out the money for something if it's going to have a long life expectancy. But we don't want to spend money buying a bunch of stuff that isn't going to stick around long term. And that's just going to fall apart because I don't believe that to be sustainable. I would rather own a pair of shoes that are are going to last me, let's say, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years or maybe a lifetime rather than a pair of shoes that's going to last me a few months. Mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that does make sense. We've talked about this on our podcast too, about doing the least amount of harm and whether that's buying something new that's going to last you 20 years or reusing whatever that you have that's going to be lasting longer than we'll say one example off of the top of my head. And the very first time I heard this, it was someone who I worked with at an animal sanctuary and he was in charge of the horticulture. And he, although one of the strictest vegans I knew, purchased from the thrift store used non-vegan boots and I was like what the heck oh my gosh he's like this hardcore vegan and he's wearing leather boots and then when when we talked about it in depth he talked about how he believed it was much more sustainable to purchase a pair of boots one time that were going to last him many decades used and so he didn't even contribute to the manufacturing of the product whereas he had tried using synthetic boots and they fall apart within a couple of years and he didn't want to contribute to that cycle of fast fashion and and not not even fast fashion but like poorly made goods that you're going to have to keep replacing over and over and over again it's it's better to purchase for him the non-vegan thing one time and feel good that it's not contributing to the animal suffering yet still going to be highly functional 
Very controversial. Yes, it's we, it's been talked a lot, um, or at least I've talked a lot to people about how can you be vegan and also be low waste and sustainable at the same time? And what does that look like? And what I have found that it's really going to be dependent on the person, their personal philosophy, their personal morals, and what they deem to be best in whatever given situation they're in. Because, you know, just going back to what you said before, someone in a place of privilege where they're making, let's say, you know, 200K a year might be a totally different vegan, you know, low waste person compared to someone living under the poverty line and, you know, being vegan and just using what they have. And so it really I think it's dependent on the person and what they're doing in their everyday life and what they can do. And I don't know, for me, for me personally, over the years, I've just realized that everyone is in a, in a different walk of life and I have no idea what other people are going through. So for me, I just think people do what they know is best for their given situation. You know what I mean? Like, so if someone who's vegan is going to go out and buy some leather work boots and they're secondhand, they think that is the best way they can be low waste and sustainable. And they're going to probably wear those boots for the rest of their lives. You know, you do you. That makes sense for you. Really gets into a lot of minutia. And ultimately, like, we don't really have answers to what's the most sustainable thing, right? Or what's the what's the best option? What's going to do the least harm? We only have like our intuition based on what we know. And for everyone, that's a little bit different. And everyone's life cir- circumstance is a little bit different. And a big part of what Tony and I try and help people realize is it's not about the label vegan. It's not about the word vegan. It's about trying to do the least harm and the most good in the world. And so to kind of release that and just try and think, well, what's the best option here? But OK, I am just eager to dive into so many more things I think gives such a wealth of knowledge. I'd love to start with maybe some unusual things that people might not think of on the top of their head that you either buy secondhand or DIY, just kind of some unique things that you do in your life with your family to live, save some money, save some money and be more sustainable. Okay. So just first off, I really do believe there's a difference between frugality, which is what we do, and being cheap. So we basically choose where we want to spend our money and, you know, deem certain areas of our lives where we can save some money, maybe DIY something ourselves, maybe grow our own food. And then we contribute and move money around to like things that matter to us, like putting our kids in, you know, really cool activities. A lot of our money goes towards that rather than, you know, laundry detergent. So just we we DIY our own laundry detergent. We've been doing this for over five years now. It saves us a ton of money. We basically make about, I think it's like 15 gallons or so. And we've we used to make about five gallons. At a time now we make about 15 and basically 15 gallons will last us more than a year. And we do that using under $5 worth of products. And all of it is sustainable products. All of it is low waste products. You can get them in cardboard boxes, basically. And like I do have this video where I show you how to DIY your own laundry detergent like I do up on my YouTube channel. There's like a detailed video of how I do it and how easy it is. It only takes a few hours out of your day to make it. Not even if you walk away from your stove a bit, but it lasts a really long time and it cleans our clothes really well. And, you know, you can make it scented. You make it unscented if you want to. We make it unscented because it's cheaper and also a little bit better for us as a family. 
But we do stuff like that just to save a little bit of money in one area and shift that money to another area of our lives. We also, I know this is probably a really extreme weird one, but we don't use toilet paper and it weirds out a lot of people, but we don't use toilet paper. We started, it kind of started off, let's see, five years ago when we were in over $70,000 worth of debt. It was a combination of school loans and things like that just accumulated between my husband and I. And what we did is we sold everything we had basically to get out of debt. And we started taking things out of our budget that we didn't absolutely need. So we took out anything frivolous that just was not needed. So my husband stopped, you know, buying beer. I stopped wearing moisturizer on my face. I like went without moisturizer for years. Actually, last year was the first year I had started repurchasing moisturizer for my skin, which might be a bit weird. But anyways, we took toilet paper out of our budget to save, I think it was something like between three and $500 a year. But if you are living under the poverty line like we were, and we had so much debt to repay, it just made sense for us to stop using certain products. And so what I did is I, at the time we were cloth diapering. And so it just made sense to do kind of take that and be like, well, you know, if we can wash cloth diapers, why can't we, you know, cut up some, you know, old t-shirts or towels or, you know, baby swaddlers and use that as toilet paper and then wash it. And so we started doing that. We now have a bidet system and bidets are really common in European countries. Some people even use little watering cans they use or they use diaper sprayers in their bathrooms. It's basically the same thing. So you just spray water on your tushy and then you wipe it with a cloth that you then just throw in your washing machine and wash. And to us, it's pretty much the same as washing cloth diapers. And these cloths, especially if you use a bidet system or some watering can system, there's not a lot of residue left. I'll put it that way. I'm trying to be as polite as possible here. There's just not a lot left to wash. And so it's kind of just like washing your underwear in a way. So it's not as dirty as a lot of people think it is. It's actually just pretty normal, at least for us. It saves us a ton of money. So that was probably one of the more extreme things we've done, I'd say. Amber, what do your guests do when they come to your house and they're looking everywhere for the toilet paper and then they see like a little area of towels? Well, you know, they, we, they do ask questions. I do have to say we do have toilet paper for guests only. Okay. They do get their own toilet paper. We're not like... We're not telling people to, you know, you have to use our family cloth. Some people call it family cloth. That's just for our family. You don't have to use our cloths in our house. You can use normal toilet paper here. We do have like a small collection of toilet paper for guests. But even then, I mean, it's it's effort. But I remember when I was, so I used to be an antique dealer before I was a full-time blogger. Well, I guess before I started down this line of work. And I would go to a ton of different estate sales. And when someone dies, often the family doesn't take even the toilet paper. They just 
leave it there. And so you can buy toilet paper used sometimes for a very, very small amount of money. And because I went to estate sales so often, I would I would buy paper products for myself that were like 25 cents for a whole whatever was left. It kind of sounds weird when I say it out loud, but if you want to try to buy used toilet paper, that is an option too. That is such a good tip. I never thought of that. And now I'm like, I never thought of that. That's amazing. I'm going to do that now. I will check out estate sales. <laughs> I feel like most of the the people that I know who have become parents are leaning down the cloth diapering route, which is cool. Like it used to be very niche and now it's very normalized, which is pretty exciting. And once you've gone there, washing toilet paper or like washing cloth toilet paper for adults is not like you realize it's it's nothing <laughs> compared to cloth diapers, which it's gets a really little bit messy. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say just about making your own washing detergent that's pretty cool is it's like a triple win, win right like you're saving a ton of money you can make a huge batch at once it's way more sustainable but it's also also cruelty free like you're taking out like these industries that are not not good for our environment for animals for anything so it's like a no-brainer once you learn how to do it in a way that works and if you found a way to do it that can wash poopy diapers and have them come out clean, I'd say that's a test tried and tested win. <laughs> and it's really, it's a lot easier than people think making their own laundry detergent because you just have to, like, it's not really hard to find products. You can go to your local grocery store and find the products I use in my laundry detergent. Super easy. We don't have one, but I want to I do want to get one. Uh, I used a bidet at my in-laws house and it's actually like a nice experience. I thought it was going to be kind of gross and a little bit uncomfortable, but I was surprised by, by how it just was a clean and a nice process. It does get take some getting used to maybe for some people, but yeah, it's, I would say it, it gives you a cleaner feeling than any toilet paper, if that makes sense. Okay. I would love to dive deeper into food. So preventing food waste, buying discounted food, growing your own food, sharing and bartering, trading, creating community, even sprouting. These are all like things that I've seen you talk about. So I'd love you to share some tips just for relating to food. How do we cut down our food cost and our food waste? You know, just straight off, being vegan or going plant-based saves you a ton of money. So, you know, you're, you're buying legumes in like dried format, at the grocery store, you can buy big bulk bags, too, of legumes. It's great. You can buy big bags of rice. That's like those two things are staples in our household, in our kitchen, because they save so much money, especially if you buy in bulk and you're buying dried. I know there's like really cool, you know, cans of chickpeas at your grocery store, but it's actually cheaper to buy the dried chickpeas, put them in your pressure cooker or on your stove, rehydrate them. And then you can even freeze those chickpeas that you've rehydrated and put them in your freezer to use at a later date. So that's something I do all the time. I use flash food here in Canada. It's creeping into the States now. Basically, it is a way for your grocery store to sell expiring products or products that need to be sold by the end of the day. So you see a lot of things like produce that is going bad. So 
but some of the produce that's going bad, it's not technically bad. They just say it's like weird looking or, you know, people aren't going to buy it because it's not pretty enough. So it's imperfect produce from your grocery store that they just want to get rid of because no one's going to buy it. So they put it on this app called Flash Food and you can pick it up at your grocery store. They do boxes of produce and it is super, super cheap. I find vegan cheese and things like Beyond Meat on this app all the time. My husband is a fan of Beyond Meat. He loves his vegan junk food. He's a huge fan. And so I will find Beyond Meat on this app for sometimes a dollar for one of their like packages of, you know, the ground meat sort of plant-based stuff that they have. And so finding that for a dollar is amazing and I will buy it and I will freeze it for a later date. So I am always on this app or going to my local grocery store looking for expiring food that had 50% off stickers or sometimes 80% off stickers on the packages. I will buy big boxes of browning bananas to freeze and put in my freezer just because it makes sense, because then we can use it at a later date making, you know, banana bread or in smoothies. That sounds awesome that you have such an app available to you. I wish that that was a popular thing here in the United States. But we do have this awesome store in certain areas called Grocery Outlet. And Grocery Outlet has something similar where they purchase in when companies have excess of what what they they produced too much. And so this store as a discount store to get rid of it quickly or if a company is reformulating their product and want to get rid wants to get rid of all of the last formulation or if something's about to expire sometimes you can buy like silk yogurts for 25 cents because it's got two days left and if you're going to eat it for breakfast it doesn't really matter and then what you said is so perfect to freeze it if you if you buy something that's about to expire you can add a huge amount to the lifespan by freezing it. So I really wish that we had that app that you're talking about. But in in the meantime, Grocery Outlet is kind of the best next thing. Yes, I have a lot of friends who use Grocery Outlet and they walk out with, you know, cases of tofu for a dollar twenty five sometimes. But flash food is creeping into the United States because I go to I, we're in a border town. And so we go across to Detroit and there is flash fruit food around Detroit. So I think it's slowly creeping in to other places in the U.S. I don't know where, but it's out there if you check out the app. That's awesome. Another thing I heard you talk about one time that I hadn't really considered before, like if someone is trying to be both budget friendly and low waste, is the plastic involved in packaging food, but food that's going to expire at the grocery store. So if you don't usually buy like things with clamshell plastic cases, but you see food that's not going to last very long, like those are both going to go to waste anyway. So I've heard you talk about how you'll just buy it because it's better than having both of them go to waste. Yeah, because all those for me, my my like the way I see it is all this stuff is thrown out by the grocery store at the end of the day. So if it ha- if it's expiring that day, they're going to throw it out in their dumpster. And sometimes their dumpsters are locked. So unless you really like breaking into dumpsters or like dumpster diving, sometimes it's hard to get that food. And, you know, just the amount of waste in North America, especially in the U.S. and Canada, like grocery stores are throwing out food every single day. And so if you have the opportunity to, you know, grab 
bag of lettuce, whether it be wrapped in plastic or not, just to save it from going into, into a dumpster, it makes sense to me. So, you know, our family will buy expiring products that are in plastic just to use it at home because we can use it that day or I can freeze it and we can use it later on. Uh, another thing I do too, to give plastic or I, I don't have, we don't have a lot of things with clamshells that we purchase, but the plastic that you can sometimes buy berries in, whether that's the little basket or the full uh, the full container with the cover. We save those throughout the year because we grow a lot of our food, especially in the summer, and always have more than we need and and love to share with our community tomatoes and berries and fruit from our trees. And it's a, a way to give those little containers another life. And I know that Michelle does something similar with these little baskets that we get from a place that sells burgers. <laughs> uh, they sell vegan burgers. It's called Burger Patch. They serve their food in these cute little turquoise baskets. And Michelle takes them home just because they're compostable. She she um, doesn't need, she doesn't believe they need to be composted. She uses them to store things in her house. So every time she eats there, she's like asking the whole table, can I take, can I take your little basket so that she can give it another life? That's awesome. Like, it's the same thing. If I find expiring vegan yogurt at the store, I will take it home, we'll eat the yogurt, and then I'll use the yogurt containers to plant volunteer plants in to give away on like the no buy apps and to neighbors and stuff. So even though you're buying something in plastic, it doesn't need to be the end of the life cycle of that plastic. It can keep going on. In case anyone listening maybe doesn't have the background on this, why is it like what's wrong with food waste? Food at the grocery store going bad and just landing it. Like, why is that such a big deal that we should make? Because it is extra effort to have to buy the thing that's not going to last very long when we bring it home. Why does that matter? To me, it's about it's about a lot. To be honest, I talk a lot about how we we grow enough food in our entire world to feed every single person on it. There's more than enough food. And just the fact that grocery stores are throwing out food that could go towards, let's say, you know, soup kitchens to feed people who need food or to food banks for people who need to eat. It, it just it really irks me because at one point in my life, I, I had to rely on food kitchens a bit and food pantries. And so what I like to do now is I like to give back to those food pantries and food kitchens from my garden when we have excess from our garden. But anyways, it just it really irks me that there is so much food waste coming out of grocery stores that they're just willing to throw away perfectly good food that they that could be donated or that they could give away to free to people who need it instead they take it as a total loss and throw it out. Now, I understand that, you know, expiry dates, you know, they're there to protect the companies who make the food so that they don't get sued or for whatever reason, similar to that, you know, the grocery store doesn't want to be sued either. But at the same time, I do believe that we have enough food in this world to feed everyone. So when I see food expiring at the store, Sure, it does take me a bit of effort to take it home and freeze it or make it into something else or chop off a bit of, you know, mold off a banana. But for me, it it helps our budget quite a lot. We're a family of five. And also it makes me 
I don't know. It helps me sleep a bit better that night knowing that there's one less banana in a dumpster rotting somewhere because it also contributes to global warming. You know, you send these food to these dumpsters of food products to the local dumps and it just contributes to global warming. And so if we could stop doing that at some point, that would be great. And I think we could help a lot of people and help our earth. I love that. That's so powerful. And I think a lot of people also don't consider all of the resources that went into growing the food, the water, the transport, like we're trying to like cut down on driving, but most of the driving we contribute to is through the food we buy most likely. So there's so much good that goes into that. And I I love what you shared. So you are a family of five, you have three amazing kids how the heck, and you're a working mom, a hard working mom, and you're growing your own food, and you're rescuing food from grocery stores. How do you have time to do it all? I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, so to be honest, like on top of that, just going to add in there, I'm chronically ill. So I am trying to I guess, be a good parent, grow our own food, you know, try to be as sustainable as possible while working, you know, while being a wife, all this stuff. I do things very consciously and it has to be very deliberate when I do them. And so my focus has to be completely on the thing I'm doing. And so I plan carefully. I try to spend my energy wisely. And so if it makes sense, I do it. I'll put it that way. If it's going to have long-term impact in some way, I will do it. So let's say all the work that goes into my garden, I grow from seed thousands of plants every single year, plant them outside, bring in compost. I have brought over a hundred yards of compost and wood chips into our backyard. I have like setups for certain vegetables. It takes a lot of planning. It takes time, but it's also a huge passion of mine. But not only am I growing vegetables for my family, I'm also growing food for our local community, our neighbors, people in need. I'm preserving that food, but mainly I want to think that I'm helping other people realize they can do that too. And usually showing my children how much energy it takes to grow food. Because I realized when I started growing my own food that I didn't realize how much energy it took to grow food. So I started out growing food in my own, you know, apartment when I was a teenager. Now I'm 33 and growing food in this backyard of mine. And it's pretty much my entire backyard. But I I guess I didn't realize before, and I suspect this is the same for a lot of other people, we don't realize the amount of time and dedication it takes to grow food. So when I, this I guess irks me as well, when I see so much waste coming out of grocery stores, farmers took so much of their time and energy to grow that food for people to consume, and then it's just being wasted. And I feel like, I don't know, I see that as really, really sad because, you know, we should be, you know, thanking our farmers. We should be thanking the people who are growing these vegetables and fruit to feed us and all the work that goes into that, all the transportation, all the water, especially if they're using regenerative farming in some way or organically farming or, you know, just using less pesticides or insecticides, you know, just trying their very best especially if you're supporting local farmers who are putting their, you know, produce in local grocery stores to you. When I see that food being wasted, that's to me really sad. I had no idea 
how much it took to grow enough food for my family. I grow enough food for my family now in my backyard, but I still have to contribute to our pantry and our food budget overall by buying these bags of rice from, let's say, Costco and buying tofu and buying that sort of thing, like buying legumes, because I can't produce that much food in my own backyard. I can only, let's say, grow about, I grow between 70 and 80% of the produce and food we eat and that I preserve it for winter. But it takes a ton of work. It takes a ton of energy. And it's just made me realize how thankful I am towards farmers. And so when I see food wasted, it just, I don't know, it kind of adds to that. If that, if anything in there made sense, let me know. (laughs) It definitely, definitely makes sense. We live in the Central Valley. So a lot of food that people eat globally is here. And we pass by people while driving down the freeway who are in the California hot sun baking and they're bent over physically, manually pulling produce off of off of the ground, hunched over. And it's really extreme, extreme, extreme hard work. So the fact that it is sometimes tossed is is very sad. So speaking of food, what do you do with all of the food? What are your favorite family tips that might be a little bit unusual for serving the family on a budget and with low waste practices? Okay, so this is probably my weirdest one. And people may notice this in my videos. Besides all the clearance food that I buy, uh, I try to cook enough or like most of the food for my family every morning. So I don't go into my kitchen and cook food three times a day. I go into my kitchen in the morning and I spend a big like ish chunk of time just preparing food for the majority of the day. So that usually involves crock pots you know, or instant pots, I should say. They're super, super easy. I'm able to measure out the amount of rice I want. I'm able to figure out how how much food I need to use that day. I look in my fridge and I see what type of food is going bad and that I have to use up first. And that's my strategy every morning. I go to the fridge, I go through the fridge, and I take out any leftovers we need to eat so that we know that it's there, we need to eat them. I put them on the counter. There's no missing them. I look at the produce in the fridge. I see what needs to be used up or used in some other way. The other day we went uh, strawberry picking and we had a ton of strawberries in the fridge. What I was doing was I was every morning for for two days, I went in the fridge and would take out strawberries and chop them up to freeze them or make strawberry jam. And I did that every morning for two days just to use up all the strawberries So every morning I'm looking in the fridge, I'm seeing what I have to use up. Sometimes I make large amounts of, I guess it's like veggie stock broth, you know? So I I put it all in my Instant Pot, huge fan of Instant Pot, you know, not sponsored in any way by Instant Pot. I bought my Instant Pots, but they are so practical to use and they're time savers. I just throw all the veggies in my fridge that look like they need to be used up right away into these instant pots. I add some water. I add some herbs from my garden, either, you know, in the wintertime when they're all dried up, I add that into the instant pot or I add fresh fresh herbs from the garden into the instant pot in the summertime. And I just, I boil that or, you know, just like pressure cook that or whatever it's doing for about an hour, sometimes two hours to just suck all that good stuff out of the veggies, all that nutrients. 
And then when it is cool again, I add it into mason jars and I put them in my fridge or I freeze them in my freezer so that I have access to veggie broth whenever I need it, whenever I'm making like something that calls for that or a soup. Soups are a great way to use up produce in your fridge that is going bad. They're super easy to make. I find it so simple to do. And I haven't, I want to say I've never made a bad soup. It's really hard to screw up a soup (laughs) as long as you're adding like some salt and some good herbs in there with the veggies. It usually works out. I love that. My one question for you as someone with three kids, and now I have a toddler of my own, and I know some people listening are either considering families or or, or kids or have some. And it's always a really big challenge to even just try and get, get kids to like healthy food in general. But when you're making your own food, it's it's mostly really, really healthy. So how has that journey gone for, for you? And do you have any tips for parents who are trying to make a lot of their own food and the kids are just like, no, I mean, I've seen what's at school and I want the packaged whatever or the plain pasta or whatever. Okay, so my biggest tip here, and I get actually get this question a lot. Start them young. Start them on the weird stuff really young. So I did, you know, baby led weaning with all my my kids starting, you know, as babies. And so they would snack on or suck on asparagus and they would eat like sauerkraut, like sauerkraut was a finger food. And, you know, nori was has always been like, you know, one of those snacks that are our go to dried nori is great. And so I find that if your kids are exposed to, maybe this is really weird, I don't know, if your kids are exposed to the weird tasting foods that most other kids aren't a fan of, but from a young age, I find that they're more willing to eat other food. So like I have a three-year-old, she's our, our youngest. She has been eating mushrooms for a while. Mushrooms are one of her favorite foods. She loves asparagus. They all eat sauerkraut and kimchi. They all love nori. It's like some people are like, how do you get your kids to eat that stuff? And honestly, it was just, you know, normalizing it from a young age. And these are foods that are really normal in other cultures. So you do see like really young children eating kimchi in other cultures. But it's just we have a I believe we have like a North American mindset where we deem certain foods really, really weird to eat at a young age or are there like an acquired taste as adults, you know, like spicy food. But my kids have been exposed to like spicy peppers and stuff from a young age. And it's nothing that we force on them. It's not like we're being like, oh, no, you have to eat the kimchi or you have to eat the spicy peppers. Instead, it's like something we eat together. And if you like over time, they'll learn that they like that food, if you know what I mean. I remember listening to an interview with Michael Pollan and the interviewer asked him how how he feeds his kids. Like, how do you get kids to not only want what's on the kids menu? And he said there there should never be a kid's menu. There should always be you eat what I eat and not give our kids bread with cheese on it and and call that a meal. And it was really interesting, his perspective, because everyone gives their kids the kid's menu. Like that's how a lot of us grew up eating. And to have him say, I've never done that to my children ever, ever. They've always eaten what I eat, whether that is like some fancy more obscure vegetable or something like 
pasta marinara and veggies, they eat what I eat. And that I thought was a cool perspective. That makes perfect sense to me. You know, like we've just never, we don't make separate meals for everyone unless it's for me because I'm gluten-free. But most of the time my kids eat gluten-free along with me. Like everyone just eats the same sort of thing. We don't make separate meals. It's like, I don't think that my children even realize it's an option to have, you know, nothing on their pasta because they've just never come across that, you know, like it's never, they don't watch I don't know, something on TV that shows that or they've never been around other like ki- other kids who are only eating plain pasta. I guess this is just normal for us. <laughs> I feel very inspired, but also at a crossroads because it's so hard to keep your kids sheltered from what other people are eating, especially if you travel, if you go to any restaurant that's not vegan, it's like fries are what's on the menu. And the way that that I've raised my toddler. The first year we had so much control. We were in a pandemic. We we're making all healthy food. We were modeling healthy eating and it was like easy. But as soon as we started getting out more and just life kind of got in this state of chaos, we started leaning towards convenience more. And there's like no going back. Like once Graham tried a bar, without like a, like a kid's bar, his favorite food is now bar. And the, it's like adults. Like if you have a bunch of junk food in your house, it's going to be really hard to sit down and have like a plate of quinoa and veggies, like to take the time to make that if you have a convenience item there. But if it's just not there and it's not around, like you're not sad about that quinoa and veggies. You're like, oh my God, this is delicious. I could eat this every day. And you do because you need to make dinner. So I think creating that environment is so important. And I don't know, it's really helpful for me to see that modeled by you because I've, as life gets so busy, you just kind of lean into accepting what's easiest, even if it's not best for your family and not best for your kids and not best for our world. So I just want to thank you for that, Amber. Don't beat yourself up either for the convenience food. It's uh, it happens to people. Definitely. What I try to do, because sometimes I do need to have convenience food available because I'm chronically ill. There are days that I'm really sick. I can't do a whole lot. So what I try to do is I plan for the days that I know might happen where I'm like too sick to cook. And so what I do is I will, you know, I make that veggie broth ahead of time. I, you know, have quinoa in my fridge, ready batch that I batch cook for like the week. So I try to plan ahead a little bit. And sometimes it's just throwing that stuff in my pressure cooker, my instant pot for like 10 minutes. So that's ready the rest of the week. So if you can give yourself, I'd say like 15, 30 minutes a week, you know, to, you know, cook an instant pot of quinoa or rice, it can help you a little bit. Those are all, those are all really good tips. And, uh, and even still, like, I always think, okay, this week I'm going to make four different things in, in a big batch and make them but sometimes I'll only get to like two and get tired of it by the end of the week so I want to get better at just always having my my grains and legumes in the refrigerator for me to eat because once hunger strikes and you're unprepared good decisions go out the window we're wrapping up we're getting ready to wrap up but we wanted to talk to you about what if people gift you things that may not be aligned with what you want for your family or when you're gifting, do you still buy used and or do you make stuff? How 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 does the gifting world look? Because that sometimes 
can be out of our control. We've talked a little bit about it as vegans, but what if you don't want anything really? (laughs) Or if you don't want anything plastic or anything, how do you control those situations? It's definitely difficult. I'll put it that way. It's strange for other people, I guess. It's not strange for you because you're just like, this is my new normal. You know, this is just the way I live. But I guess for other people, I try to I try to put myself in other people's shoes looking at me and I just I'm just living right. (laughs) It's just the way we live. So we do get gifts sometimes where it's like, oh, no, this is going this is not really aligned with what we do. For example, sometimes, you know, there's grandparents <laughs> and we get like, you know, the cheap toys that are going to break. It's like they're just going to break. There's nothing. I pick my battles. <laughs> I, you know, I'll be like, well, you know, it's not that sturdy, but whatever. The kids are going to play with it. They're going to use it up. There's nothing I can do. I didn't buy it, you know, and I just pick my battles in that sense. But if, hey, if they ask for suggestions or if I make suggestions before Christmas time, that's kind of what I do. I'll make some suggestions that are a bit, you know, like I know my kids really love playing with puzzles. So puzzles are always a great buy if someone's going to buy new and gift them to us. In our case, if we are buying a gift for someone else, I really try to think about the other person. I try to think about what they like, what they like to do. And I try to find a way to gift them something consciously. I find that a lot of gift giving is about just the gift giving rather than the person, if that makes any sense. So if I, I try to be conscious, that could involve me making something straight from my garden. I have some friends who absolutely love hot sauce. They love it. I love to grow really unusual peppers that are hard to find. So I will ferment hot sauce and give it to them as a gift. And because they love hot sauce, they know how much time it takes to make hot sauce or, you know, to get a particular flavor or it's like really unusual somehow. And my hope is they recognize the love and intent behind the gift more than anything, because, you know, I grew those peppers and I made the hot sauce. But I also let go of the expectation that someone is going to understand the love behind my gift. If you give someone something, you have no control over it afterwards. It's no longer yours. And what they do with it or like about it or don't like about it is not on you anymore. And it's the same when people, you know, gift our, you know, our family something. They also have to or should let go of what may happen to that gift because they've given it away freely. So sometimes we do recycle (laughs) gifts that people have given us because we can't use it. Like um, my chronic illness, some of like the things I react to are really smelly candles. Like I cannot have certain types of candles around me or I get super sick. And so if someone gives me a super smelly candle, I just can't use it. And so I will re-gift it to someone who may like it. And so I guess the overall There's times where you can control a situation and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this conscious decision. It's going to be a sustainable one or as sustainable as I can be, even if it's a bit imperfect, but you can't control other people and what they do. And so you kind of have to let go. I love that. And I think oftentimes, most often, it's received so much better than a, a gift that you just buy it's there's so much thought and intention put into it. And I think I remember I 
I might be wrong, but I think I remember watching some of your videos many years ago where you shared what you gifted to like your kids and your family yes. the holidays. I'll have to link some of those in the show notes because we're running out of time. But there's really great ideas in there of how you can make your own gifts for kids or get secondhand things that are great. Tony, when I had my baby, she would always bring over gifts and they were she would go to secondhand shops and get like onesies or clothes for Graham. You can also buy things that are new used. And that sounds so funky. But when I'm buying nieces and nephews and when I'm buying them gifts, I usually ask their parents what they want and what they need and buy them one of each. And you can go on eBay and Poshmark and people purchased a jacket for their kid and it was too small, but then they forgot to take it back. And now it's been sitting in their closet for a couple of years and you can buy it new with tags and not have to purchase it from Target or Macy's or wherever you shop. Even like a fancy place, Graham's best friend, she's just turned three and she wears the most high fashion dresses everywhere. And I'm constantly like, oh my God, that's so, like it looks like a custom made high fashion dress. And these are all from Once Upon a Child, which is the second hand shop, which is where we shop too. Almost never do we buy new clothes for kids. It just doesn't make any sense. But anyway, okay, we'll definitely link those videos, Amber. This has been so fun. I feel like we could, you just lived so much of what so many of us aspire to. I feel like we could talk all day. But do you have any last things you'd like to share? And can you share where people can find and connect with you on social media and beyond? So just like last words here. You can be in perfectly, you know, low waste or imperfectly sustainable. I think the whole point is trying. And if you're trying to make conscious budget decisions for your family, again, just try your best. It's a really long road. It's a journey. And when I say it's a journey, I mean, like, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have learning curves. But mainly what I have found to be the most important thing is that your life changes And especially when you have a family, it can change like your kids get older. Things change drastically. Like we are no longer cloth diapering anymore. All our kids are out of diapers. Our oldest is 10. Our youngest is about to turn four. We haven't cloth diapered in a while. And so your your life changes, your low waste journey changes, your sustainability journey changes. And, you know, your budget is going to change as your kids get older. So allow and breathe through the changes and just go with it. You can find me at my YouTube channel, The Fairly Local Family. I also have an Instagram, which is Instagram slash The Fairly Local Family. And I'm on TikTok at Fairly Local Life. <laughs> awesome. We will link all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Amber, for all of the wisdom you shared. And uh, it was really great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Also, a quick reminder to check out our sponsors of this episode, Ritual and Careway Home. You can find Ritual's awesome vegan vitamins and their Symbiotic Plus at ritual.com slash plantpowered. That's R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash plantpowered, where you can get 10% off your order. And then you can find Careway Home's beautiful cookware and pans and everything at carawayhome.com slash plantpoweredkitchen, where you can also enjoy 10% off. Thank you so much to both Ritual and Caraway for supporting the show. And to you, dear listener, it means the world to us. Thanks so much. Chatting with Amber was so fun and I feel really inspired. And I'm definitely on my way right now to go look at 
flash sale apps. I really, there has to be one. We're in California and I'm sure that there's something. So if I find anything, we'll link that in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And then I also really encourage you to check out Amber's Instagram and YouTube if for nothing else to just take a peek at her garden. It's really phenomenal. And just it, it sort of blows my mind that one person, one family can maintain and grow so much food. I think it is so beautiful how Amber's taking her resources and really giving back to her community and just has a beautiful philosophy. So thank you again for joining us, Amber. And for those listening that are looking for more budget-friendly resources, we obviously have so many plant-based on a budget, (laughs) Tony's baby. You can find recipes and more there. And then we also have our plant-based on a budget meal plans that you can find at plantbasedmealplan.com that show you how to eat from the grocery store, (laughs) not growing your own food, but from the grocery store for the pretty much lowest cost you possibly can. And so definitely check those out if that could be helpful. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and we will talk to you in the next one. 